Amen. Let's take the word of God together this evening and turn to the Old Testament book of 2 Samuel, if you would. 2 Samuel chapter 5, I want to share with you something that I have read this week in my own uh, private devotions, and I just believe that God has spoken to me from it and hope that he'll speak to you. 2 Samuel uh, chapter 5, and uh, we are at a very interesting, in this chapter we come to a very interesting part of, of the history of the nation of Israel. It's really in some ways, a focus on the history of David's life. David has just been anointed king. Officially, he was already anointed king. Uh, God used Samuel to anoint David as the true king of Israel quite some time before this. But Saul has died when David has been accepted by both Judah and Israel as the king. And Israel is, the first time in a long time, united. Southern and northern tribes united. Really a monumental time and occasion for the nation of Israel. And uh, shortly after this, then come the battles. Isn't that just the way it is? After some great victory, after some encouraging time, then come the battles. And that's where we find David, and that's where we find the nation of Israel. I want you to begin reading with me from verse 17 of 2 Samuel chapter 5. That'll give us a bit of context. But when the Philistines heard that they had anointed David king over Israel, all the Philistines came up to seek David. And David heard of it and went down to the hold. The Philistines also came and spread themselves in the valley of Rephaim. And David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up to the Philistines? Wilt thou deliver them into mine hand? And the Lord said unto David, Go up, for I will doubtless deliver the Philistines into thine hand. And David came to Baal-perazim, and David smote them there, and said, The Lord hath broken forth upon mine enemies before me as the breach of waters. Therefore he called the name of that place Baal-perazim. And there they left their images, and David and his men burned them. And the Philistines came up yet again and spread themselves in the valley of Rephaim. And when David inquired of the Lord, he said, Thou shalt not go up, but fetch a compass behind them, and come upon them over against the mulberry trees. And let it be, when thou hearest the sound of a going in the tops of the mulberry trees, that then thou shalt bestir thyself. For then shall the Lord go out before thee, to smite the host of the Philistines. And David did so as the Lord had commanded him and smote the Philistines from Geba until thou come to Gezer. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word. I really want you to look at the last four verses of this chapter, verses 22 down to verse 25. And, and this is the second time in this chapter that the Philistine army attacks. And uh, the I guess if you were going to entitle this sermon... This message, it would be from that fourth verse, when thou hearest, when thou hearest. It's interesting, in verse number 22, the Bible says, the Philistines came up yet again. The Christian life, are you listening? Look here, the Christian life is a series of battles. Now, we sometimes think that the Christian life is all sunshine and roses, and that every once in a while, occasionally, there's a fight. But it's really the other way around. 
The Christian life is one massive battle. Occasionally there's some sunshine and occasionally there's some roses and dandelions. But it is usual. It is normal to be in a battle, to be in a fight. The enemy, by the way, is relentless. Think about it here in verse 17, David and the the nation of Israel fight the Philistines. The Philistines hear that David has been anointed king. They hate David. Can you guess why they hate David? Do you remember why? Because he killed their champion. He killed Goliath. They hate this little fella called David. They hate the fact that uh, the, the nation of Israel chanted, Saul killed his thousands, but David is ten thousands. They hate that man. And when they hear that he's been anointed king of Israel, they all come, the Bible says they came because of David. They came up to seek David. Why? You think they wanted to have a cup of coffee with David? No, they wanted to kill him. They wanted to kill him. But David and the Israelite army defeats the Philistines. And David sings almost about how God has opened up the floodgates and defeated his enemies. And he's so thrilled about it. And they, they, the Philistines are beaten so badly, they leave their images and their gods behind. They want to get out of there as quickly as they can. They probably brought them just like the nation of Israel brought the Ark of the Covenant with them as a, as a sign of, of courage and, and strength. And so David and his men took their gods that they left behind and burned them. Can you imagine? And as soon as that's done, here come the Philistines again. Now we learn something very interesting about the enemy from this text. We learn that the enemy is relentless, persistent, and tenacious. The enemy does not stop. And every once in a while, when you feel like you've got your head above the water and you've managed to get a a mouthful of air, and just the second you've got a gulp of air, comes another wave, another attack. Can I just remind you this evening, we cannot afford to relax spiritually. We can't. One victory does not ensure another. Nor does it ensure rest and peace. He just defeated the Philistines. Surely if there is any time to take a break or to rest, it would be right after they won a battle. But instead, we find that the enemy is there again. We sometimes imagine once we get victory over something that we can we can take it easy. We don't have to worry about it any longer. We don't struggle with that anymore. Occasionally somebody comes to faith in Christ who was perhaps a drunkard. And uh, if they're not careful, they'll think, well, God took the drink from me and I'll never have to worry about it again. But if you're not careful, that same enemy will be there just on your heels or perhaps in some other way. The Philistines came up yet again. I wonder tonight if you feel like the Philistines have come up again. And the Bible says in the same verse, they spread themselves in the valley of Rephaim. Now, this is the same place they came last time. It's just on the edge of Jerusalem. And I want you to think about this for just a moment. The the enemy is very strategic. The enemy of God who is our enemy, Satan, is very strategic. The Bible says that the Philistines spread themselves, very numerous, 
That's a, that's a very strategic move, by the way. If you're, if you're hold up in a, walled up in a city somewhere and you look out over a valley and this enemy spreads itself out, that's a very intimidating sign. The Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 20, speaking of things that are to come, a very interesting chapter. Let me read a few verses, Revelation chapter 20. And this is where many people um, draw their theology about uh, the millennium from Revelation chapter 20. We won't make many comments about that. But uh, from this text, we find in verse number 7, And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. Can I just say to you, Long before Satan ever gathers them together, their number is still as the, the sand of the sea. Meaning today, the number of God's enemy is as the sand of the sea. We sometimes think that there's one bad dude over there and one bad fella over there. And she, boy, she's definitely working for Satan. But no, no, the number of God's enemies, you cannot count them. And the scripture goes and says they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about in the beloved city. Think for a moment. It wasn't that Satan all of a sudden made a large number of, of enemies and soldiers that could fight for him. They were already in the earth, meaning they're already here today. He just gathered them all together for a specific purpose. And the enemy is always numerous and part of Part of his strategy is to frighten us by the number. I'm encouraged in that same passage in Revelation chapter 20. The Bible says that fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. Let me remind you, we are the winners. Amen. Let me remind you, I don't care how many there may be, we are victorious already. Amen. And don't forget it. Every once in a while we say, why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? Why are there so many of, of evil men and women around us? We're outnumbered. We've always been outnumbered. The people of God have always been outnumbered numerically, but never outnumbered according to strength or force because God is for us. Let me remind you that we are the victors because Christ Jesus is victorious. They spread themselves in 2 Samuel chapter 5 in the valley. Watch this. Watch this strategy. Think about the timing for a second. Satan is very clever. The enemy is very intelligent. David had just been made king. Satan is very strategic in the timing of his attacks. Sometimes we say, it couldn't have happened at the worst time. You ever thought that? No, no. Satan said, this is the best time. He's strategic. The attacks on your life, the attacks in your heart and mind and soul are not incidental. They're not accidental. They are intentional and strategic. And Satan looks for timing. Israel had just been united. David had just been anointed king. It was a transitionary period. Saul was dead. David, the new king, trying to figure out how to go from living in a cave to living in a palace. Sounds like a good time to attack. Let me warn you. There's a lot of people right now in transitionary times in their personal lives. Some folks here, I'm looking at a number of couples preparing to be married soon. Some just having children. Uh, some going through difficult times. 
in those awkward, unusual times in life are the times that Satan typically attacks. His timing is impeccable, you could say. Not only his timing, but his location. He waged war right outside of the new headquarters. David had been in Hebron. Now he moved headquarters to Jerusalem. And that's exactly where they bring the attack. He knows where, when to attack us and where to attack us. What parts and areas of our life, where, where we are the weakest. I want to ask you this evening, what's your weakest place in your own personal life? That's where he's headed. That's where he's going. He's looking for a chink in your armor. He's looking for a soft, tender spot that he might get in. He's looking for a place where you've been a little negligent. He knows where. He knows where to strike. He knows when to strike. And he's specifically striking. It's not a general thing where he's just firing at all, but he doesn't just walk into a tent and fire away. He is specifically, intentionally picking people off one by one. He doesn't come in at the back of a tent and fire off a bunch of arrows and hope that some of those arrows hit somebody. He's intentionally and specifically pointing at people. The Bible says in verse number 17, but when the Philistines heard that they had anointed David king over Israel, all the Philistines came up to seek David. They were after David. They could care less about Abner and Joab. They were interested in David. Let me remind you that Satan's attacks, the enemy's attacks are always very specific. We are fighting against a very strategically minded enemy. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood as we've been looking at on Sundays, on the Lord's days uh, for many weeks now. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and power, against powers, against the rulers of darkness, of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Don't be, don't be fooled. The same way we have governments, queens and kings and prime ministers and houses of parliament and all sorts of other officials, a really well, well, not really well organized, but you get the idea. Some sort of organized system of governing. Satan has the same system, but better. Hierarchy. He has a, and he's copied that, by the way, from our orderly God. He's copied that from our God of order. And we have an enemy who knows what he's doing. Which is precisely why David responds the way that he does. Here comes the Philistine army up again. They're relentless again and again, attacking again and again. And what does David do when the enemy attacks? The Bible says the Philistines came up yet again, spread themselves in the valley of Rephaim, and when, and when David inquired of the Lord, what's David do? And what should you do when an attack comes? David inquired of the Lord. Now David was beginning to set a, set a, a pattern for how he would respond to the attacks in his life. Verse 19, and David inquired of the Lord. Verse number 23, and when David inquired of the Lord, we looked at this several weeks ago in, in, uh, in a previous book. And 1 Samuel chapter 23, we found the very same pattern. I remind you, let me read a verse for you. 1 Samuel 23 and verse number 2. Therefore David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go 
and smite these Philistines again in verse four. Then David inquired of the Lord yet again. David had learned that there's one place to go. What do you do when you're attacked? Inquire of the Lord. God, what do you want me to do? Now he's very specific. Watch this. He's very specific. In verse number 19, David inquired of the Lord saying, shall I go up to the Philistines? Two questions. Wilt thou deliver them into my hand? Guide me, Lord. Should I go or should I not go? And if I do go, are you going to give me the victory? It's time that you and I got specific about our prayers. Is it time? Maybe it's a matter of timing. Is it time for me to go up? Maybe it's not. And a matter of victory or not. I love the proverb. Proverb chapter 3. It's one of the most well-known proverbs. Probably the most well-known two verses in all of Proverbs. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. David learned that he could not trust his own thinking. Because his own thinking would lead him astray. Maybe he'd been there before. Maybe you've been there before. You ever been there before? When your thinking has led you astray? I have. I've been there before when I thought, boy, this sounds pretty good. This looks like what I ought to be doing. But it wasn't. And David learned as Solomon, David's son, articulates in Scripture, lean not unto thine own understanding, but in all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. But he's not going to direct your path if you don't say unto the Lord, if you don't inquire of the Lord, shall I go up? Every battle's different. Today's battle isn't like yesterday's. And tomorrow's will not be like today's. You cannot respond with the same way you responded today to tomorrow's problems. There aren't equations, I'm sorry. You, you, you can't go to someone and say, well, what, what, what should I do? There's nothing wrong with asking advice from godly men and women. I'm not saying that at all. But we don't have equations in our pockets. We don't. We can't say, well, this is what you need to do at a particular time. No, we must inquire of the Lord. We must learn to get on our knees and seek God. Because every battle's different. You might think, well, David's been here before. Same enemy, same valley. He whooped them last time. Surely he'll whoop them again this time. Wrong. You can't go by what happened last time. And David knew that, and so he inquired of the Lord. What did he ask? Where sh shall I go up? Guide me. Wilt thou deliver them into mine hands? Now, watch what he asked. Did he say, will I win? Will I defeat them? Is that what he asked? No, no, no. Will thou deliver them into my hand? Are you going to whoop them, God? Because he understood that every previous victory was only because God did it. And if he was going to get the victory this time, it was going to be because God put them in his hand. That was the way that he prayed. And if we inquire of the Lord, let me encourage you, if we inquire of God, he will answer. Did you know that? If you ask God... He will answer. But do you know, do you know why many people don't ask God? Do you know why so many of us live defeated Christian lives is because we don't ask God? The reason we keep failing and stumbling and falling is because we don't stop and ask God. And the reason we don't stop and ask God is because we're afraid we're going to get the answer no. 
And that's what we, that's what David got here. David inquired of the Lord and it doesn't tell us what he asked in verse 23, but if he asked the same thing that he did in verse 19, what he asked in verse 19 was, shall I go up? And in verse number, verse number 20, 23, David inquired of the Lord and God said to him, thou shalt not go up. Now last time God said go up, this time he says don't. God told him no. Now hold on a moment, that's not what I wanted to hear. David was becoming a man of war. David was becoming a mighty warrior. And I'm sure he didn't want to hear, no, don't go up. I'm sure he wanted to hear, well, hey, we did it last time, let's do it again. So he asked God and God said, don't go up. Thou shalt not go up. Maybe that's the reason so many of us aren't asking God. Because we're afraid he's going to tell us no. And that's why we live defeated lives. And we go anyways. When he doesn't want us to go. And because we go when he doesn't want us to go, we're defeated. Again and again. God says to him, do not go up. Thou shalt not go up, but fetch a compass behind them. Literally, go around behind them, flank them. That's what he says. He's never done that before, but let's do it now. Fetch a compass behind them and come upon them over against the mulberry trees. Very specific instructions. Do you know God will give you specific instructions if you ask him? If you inquire of God, God, what do you want me to do? It's interesting. I love this thought because David, God told David not to go ahead. Instead, what he said was go around behind them and wait. I, I hate waiting. I'm just being honest. I'm one of the most impatient human beings on the planet. I hate waiting. This is what God was saying. Thou shalt not go up, but instead fetch a compass behind them, come upon them over against the mulberry trees, and let it be that when thou hearest, meaning their next move is going to be totally dependent upon when they hear God. So now they had to wait. They had to go around behind the enemy and wait. One of the hardest things in all of life is to wait. It's hard. Exodus chapter 14, you remember we studied this during lockdown. Exodus 14, verse number 13. The Bible says, Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. He will show, which he will show to you today. We are usually so bent on getting the salvation ourselves. We're usually so determined on winning the victory ourselves that we never stand still and see it. We never stand still and see the miracles that God could perform in front of us. 2 Chronicles chapter 20 and verse number 17, we find the very same principle there. You shall not, I love this, ye shall not need to fight in this battle. Set yourselves, stand ye still, and see the salvation of the Lord with you. You don't even need to fight. Just stand still. And then he says, and let it be that when thou hearest. Now, I grew up, my mother and grandmother used to torture me. We'd go on a little walk together and I was loud as loud. I know it's hard for you to imagine, but I was loud as loud could be. 
And my, my grandparents owned about 160 acres of land, beautiful property, seven little lakes and ponds on the land. Every time we go, we go for a walk. And my mother and granny at the beginning of the walk would say, Shh, if you're quiet, we may see something. And anytime I try to talk, I say, wow, shh, couldn't even talk, couldn't even hardly breathe. Or sometimes, how about this? You ever been walking with somebody and they say, shh, did you hear that? You can't hear it if you're talking. You can't hear it if you're moving and sometimes you'll say, shh, stop. Did you hear that? You can't hear the voice of God when you're so busy, busy, busy. You can't hear the voice of God when you're talking, talking, talking. We must learn what it is to stand still. Because the very next move that David was going to make was totally dependent upon hearing something from God. Some of our problems is that we're not listening for God. We're listening for man. Waiting for some man to tell us what to do. Waiting for somebody else. I can't help but think of that passage in 1 Kings chapter 19. Do you remember when Elijah was running for his life? He, he, he didn't even want to live after the great uh, victory on the, on the mountain there with with the 850 false prophets and he's running for his life and and the angel comes and ministers to him he's running from Ahab and Jezebel and and uh, then he ends up in this text 1 Kings chapter 19 verse number 9 he ends up on the mount of God and the Bible says he came thither unto a cave and he lodged there and behold the word of the Lord came to him and he said unto him what doest thou here Elijah and listen to Elijah he sounds like Titus or one of my children I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenants, thrown down thine altars, slain thy prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. God, I'm the only one doing anything for you. Nobody does it like me. Nobody's out there like I'm out there. Nobody's making a stand like I stand. And to make matters worse, they want to kill me. You ever felt like that? That's what he says. And he said, go forth. Stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong, watch this, a great and strong wind rent the mountains, ripped the mountains, and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. See, that's what we're looking for, isn't it? Oh God, wouldst thou not rend the heavens, rip the heavens in two and come down? Some great display, that's what we're looking for. Some big noise. But the Lord was not in the great wind, Scripture said. It's interesting. And after the wind, an earthquake. Surely that's where we're going to hear it. If it wasn't in the wind that ripped the mountains in two, it'll be in the earthquake, right? Well, there came an earthquake, the scriptures say. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. That's it. God, God is a consuming fire. Here he is in the fire. No. No, after that, there's a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. Sometimes we say this. Well, you know, if God would just 
if he would like set Oxford literally on fire, then everybody would get really afraid and nervous and then everybody would be saved. Or if God did some amazing, miraculous display, then many people would be saved. Look how many people watched Jesus perform miracle after miracle after miracle when he was alive and they didn't believe. It's the still, small voice. And it was so when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering in of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? Then Elijah could talk with God. After all the noise and all the outward show and display, when it was just Elijah and God, when Elijah was so calm and still and quiet that he could hear the still small voice of God, then it was interesting. After the wind, after the earthquake, after the fire, the still small voice. After. And so God said to David, when thou hearest the sound of a going, in the tops of the mulberry trees. Literally, when you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the mulberry trees. Now, some old Jewish rabbis used to imagine that that was literally angels' feet marching over the tops of the trees. Maybe. If angels can march on the clouds, then surely they can march on top of the trees. But when you hear the sound of a going in the tops of the mulberry trees, watch this. That then thou shalt bestir thyself. When you hear what I've just told you, you're going to hear. And stir yourself up. Bestir, get yourself ready. So the trouble is we're not listening for God. And so therefore we're constantly trying to stir ourselves up, aren't we? Billy has a phrase sometimes he uses, you know, GM up, you know, get somebody excited. Sometimes... That's what we, we do this, don't we, from day to day. Come on now. Come on. Hey, you're really good. You're doing great. Let's go get them. What happens? So like a balloon that's lost all of his helium. And you're constantly pumping people up. Constantly pump. But if you wait for God. And you wait for what he's told you to wait for. And listen for what he's told you to listen for. When you hear it, you won't need anybody to stir you up. You will know that God has already told you what's coming. You've been waiting for it. This is it. And you are now ready. Think about the zeal and courage that would arise in a man when God has told him what he's going to hear. And then he finally heard it. That's what we need. Very specific sound. The Bible says, then thou shalt bestir thyself. For then shall the Lord go out before thee to smite the host of the Philistines. That's when I'm going to go. When you hear the sound of a going in the top of the mulberry trees, when you hear the sound of marching in the top of the trees, you just know I'm already there. You just need to know that I'm already fighting. You wait to hear the marching above before you begin here below. David waited for God to move first. Then he did. Then he went. Let me encourage you. God goes before us. God goes before us to smite the host, to destroy them all. That's exactly what he did. And David did so as the Lord had commanded him and smote the Philistines from Geba until they come to Gaza. May the Lord help us.
to obey him, to wait, to listen. May the Lord help us to inquire of him. I believe the Lord is going to do something we've never seen before. I believe that. You might say, oh, you're an enthusiast. That's okay. I'm in good company. That's what they said about William Carey. You're a young enthusiast. Maybe that's so. But I just believe that God is going to do something. We just need to wait for him. Now, it's interesting. In verse number 19, when, when uh, pardon me, in verse number 17, when the Philistines first came, David went down into the hole. That meant he went ready. He went down to fight. He was ready to fight. But he still asked God. So he was ready and asking God. I think you need to have both of those things. You need to be ready to fight, ready to go, ready on, uh, ready on the line so that when he says go, we go. Because we know that when he says go, he's already there, already fighting. What a privilege to be a part of God's army. What a privilege to be a part of his team. But we don't really do the fighting. We just come after him Amen. in his footsteps. I hope tonight that we're ready. May the Lord help us to wait upon him. Help us be listening for his voice. Let's pray. Then we'll sing our final hymn. Father in heaven, we rejoice to be a part of thy family, to be a part of thy army. We thank thee, Lord, for Jesus, our, our, our great Lord of hosts. We thank thee, Lord, that there is no enemy, no army too great. That if God be for us, who can be against us? We thank thee, Lord, that thou indeed art the God of this army. We rejoice to belong to thee. We thank thee, Lord, that we have such instructions. And I pray that when, when the attack of the enemy comes, that we would quickly bow the knee and inquire of thee. Whether we should go up, whether we should stay. Help us, Lord, to wait for an answer. Help us to learn. Teach us to listen, Lord. Forgive us for the times we just haven't heard because we were looking, looking, listening for the sound of an earthquake, looking and waiting for a great wind or a fire. We missed the still, small voice. Tune our ear to that voice, Lord. And I pray that we might hear the words of instruction from above and that we would be ready when we hear the, the sound of a going, on the top of the mulberry trees, that we would be ready. We would bestir ourselves and be ready to rush into battle, knowing that thou art already there with the victory. Oh Lord, help us, we pray. We know not what a day may bring forth. We do not know what shall be on the morrow, but we trust thee, Lord, and we wait with thee. We wait for thee. Help us to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. For we ask it in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <laughs>